Hey there, Line Podcast listeners. For the second week in a row, what we were hoping to talk about got derailed by news events. This is going to be a podcast not exactly like any of the ones we've done before. It is still experimental. It's still Matt Gurney and uh, everyone's favorite, Jen Gerson. But what we do today is we talk at length about the media and what we have described basically is the end of an era. Uh, it's been a very bad week for journalism. We get into the details in the podcast, but we don't normally beg for money. But if you are someone who values the work uh, we're doing and values the work that others are doing, and if you have the ability to subscribe, we hope that you do. We'll get into the details why in the podcast, but... The 20th century glory age, the golden age of media is very, very quickly coming to an end. And we've seen some pretty grim news on that front just this week in Canada. We get into it and not much more than that in this, the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Well, we, oh, first of all, well, hi. Um, hi. Hello. So last week, I uh, just want to mention right off the top, uh, if you are seeing this now instead of listening to it, just apologies to everybody for not getting the video up. My computer crashed while exporting the video, and I had to do a time machine reset on my computer, which wiped it out. So the podcast was saved, but the video was lost, uh, which is annoying. Nobody's here for the video. Everybody's here for the video. People like well, to watch us. Hundreds of people maybe, watch maybe the video. You, maybe me, but... Um, media. A bad week in the media. This was, yeah, this is, this is, this is something that we've been warning about for years, but you do get the impression that, uh, I say that the, 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 the patient is terminal, Jack, and the family has started to gather around to understand that grandma not coming back. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't remember who it was. Was it Oscar Wilde who was asked, how did he go bankrupt? And he said, slowly at first, then suddenly. That's, um, that's, we're in the suddenly phase of yeah. that. So a uh, c- couple of items this week. The Athletic, which focuses on sports journalism, laid off a series of uh, of their reporters this week, including my friend Sean Fitzgerald, which sucks. Uh, Scott Stinson, also uh, covering the sports beat, also my buddy at the National Post. He's been, well, at Post Media, he's been let go. I don't know if that's part of a broader package or if that's... Uh, I don't, I don't know what's up with that, but Scott's gone. Um, the big news was Bell. Uh, many, many positions being eliminated across the company, including quite a few in the media division and whole radio stations. I think, yeah. Pardon me? 1300s. Uh, uh, I don't know how yeah. any of those were in the media division, oh, but okay. that was the big number. Uh, mm-hmm. But six radio stations have been shut down effective immediately. Uh, three others are to be sold, apparently, pending CRTC approval. And this is just following up on what we've seen in recent months where uh, Quebecor and Post Media have both done big company-wide layoffs. Um, you know, has, have Post Media actually done their layoffs? Because remember they announced that they were going to um, reduce their workforce by 11%, but then they just never got around to it. I think that's a matter of union negotiations. Um, my, I don't know, but I, I do believe that that has been occurring. Okay, so that's uh, I don't know if it's complete, but I think it's started. That's a okay. guess, though. That that's just me. I'm off the post media group chats. Um, yeah, but that that's my understanding. And the other one has uh, not currently resulted in layoffs, uh, but Chorus Entertainment, which is the parent company of Global, and a series of radio stations across the country, is um, in some financial peril. 
the the Toronto Star has not recently done anything, but you and I have both been reading uh, recently the ownership group at the Toronto Star changed and that let us have a bit of a peek at the financials of the Star and they were pretty bleak. And what really jumped out at me this week, really, 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 the, the red flashing signal we can't ignore. Two colleges in Ontario have suspended their journalism programs. Um, Mohawk College has a three-year journalism program that it has now suspended. Uh, the second and third year kids who are already enrolled, they will complete the program, but the first year admissions is done. There will be no more to come. There's been some talk about possibly retooling it into some other content creation format, but we'll see. Uh, and Loyalist College has suspended its radio broadcasting program. The, you know, like the party's over and the bar owners flipping the lights on and off uh, for all those stragglers who are still sitting on the uh, at the booths hours after last call. Party's over. Uh, journalism as we've known it in the 20th century has been in a state of decline for 20 years. And it's not dead yet, but this is awfully more dead than it was even six months ago yeah it's never going to be there's never going to be one final thing right <laughs> this is this is this is getting this is pretty yeah so essentially what we think is happening is what we warned people were was going to happen a couple of years ago with the lisa laflamme oh, um, yeah. Yeah. circumstance which is that i'm at everybody talking about lisa laflamme's hair the signal that seemed people seemed to be missing here was that bell was exiting journalism and yeah. that that was actually the 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 go-to here. Uh, interestingly, with the Laflamme stuff, it looks like Melling, who was one of the corporate execs who was the brainchild between behind that particular letting go of, uh, he's now gone at Bell. I don't know whether or not to, what to read into that. That could just very well be the expected life cycle of the Hatchet Man coming to its natural close. In which case. Yeah, the hatchet known. mans don't get the gold watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They 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 do their thing. They last a few years, then they take their severance, and then they leave. And that's that's the unstated, and sometimes it's explicitly stated, premise of their job. So I don't read Melling's um, excellent as a good or a bad thing. I, I I think that there's an entire. It's entirely possible that he's just done his job. Um, and the also, bookend on the Lisa Laflamme story, though. The bookend um, of Lisa Laflamme story. Because I mean, Rosa they, Wong, her producer, is also gone now. Also gone. So kind of uh, the two other personalities that were orbiting the Lisa Laflamme story, they're both gone. And, and also, we should be blunt in our assessment here. We do think that Bell is going to go to zero on the journalism file. It's they're just doing a matter it. of... Like, it's gradual, it. but yeah. yeah. And you know what? We said as much in our dispatch... I don't remember exactly when the LaFlamme situation was. A whole shitload of stuff has happened since. Um, but we wrote a dispatch in 2021 specifically, and it wasn't about LaFlamme yet that I can recall. It was actually about uh, the shutdown of uh, radio newsrooms at uh, oh, CJAD okay. 800 and News Talk 1010. CJAD is in uh, Montreal and News Talk 1010, the old CFRB, is in Toronto. And just disclosure, Jen, I, do, I, I used to host a show at cjad and i'm still a freelancer at uh at the rb in toronto um they zeroed out their radio newsrooms and basically said we're going to have consolidated bell media television first reporting teams in toronto and montreal and you can either just rip the audio out of their video files or maybe if you're lucky you get the tv reporter on the phone for like a five minute radio hit if there's like a big shooting downtown or something yeah. Uh, but you and I re read the writing on the wall, I think, very correctly back in 2021. 
if Bell has decided that the most cost-efficient form of news production, which is radio reporting, because like you don't need huge studios, you don't like like one person at the scene with a tape recorder and a phone, which is actually you don't even need the tape recorder, Mark, because your phone will do it. That's a radio reporter. Yeah. Radio is incredibly cost efficient in terms of like the audience it can reach. And in the two largest cities in the country, Bell went, eh. Literally not worth the trouble. Now, I think the other, the other thing that I would observe in all of this is that the, the, the moral and ethical side of what Bell is doing is particularly egregious because Bell is not like Post Media or The Athletic. Bell's a profitable company. Bell is a grossly popular, pop, profitable company. Bell, Bell makes in excess of, what, $3 billion of profit last year. Um, and part of the reason why it is a grossly profitable company is that essentially it has been granted a certain oligophic status in this country like the other telecom companies. So I think that perhaps the unstated premise of that status was that, look, we will give you this license to print extraordinary amounts of money, this policy-based license to print extraordinary amounts of money. And, you know, you're going to throw some of that toward providing a journalism environment in this country. And if Bell is raking the unstated premise of half that arrangement, then I think that we should be having a conversation about whether or not these telecom companies deserve the privileged statuses that they that they employ. If they're not going to um, uh, produce some kind of broader social good above and beyond their own profit-seeking capacity, then perhaps they shouldn't be given a privileged opportunity to create profit. And this isn't a, a revenge, this isn't a keep your newsrooms or else, bluntly, mm. I think that's done. <laughs> like I said, the, the term, the patient's terminal. I think we're we're past that. But this strikes me as if you actually gave a shit about journalism and you were a member of the federal government. This strikes me as an appropriate place to step in and say, okay, that's fine. You don't want to fund newsrooms across the country. I get that. We get that. There's this is there's no value add in that for you. Understood. But guess what? You, 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 we're going to start opening the marketplace for more competition. And you, you know, you can't provide exorbitant rates for uh, content services anymore. And, and, you know, creating a more competitive and more innovative environment on the telecom side is where we, where we should really be going. Um, and we should be doing that anyway. But to me, this just, this just heightens the moral argument for that. I want to throw an idea at you and I want you to understand that it's not a proposal because I wouldn't want this to be done. But I remember years ago, like this is years ago, very early in my days at the national post, we were all looking at the trend lines for media and they were all bad. And one of my colleagues as a spitball idea, and again, he wasn't even saying it either, but there were all these exotic theories about how to save the media. Right. And my buddy just said, put a $5 a month fee on every cable subscriber and every satellite TV subscriber in the country that the bell Rogers, whatever that they, that they collect and provide to the government. I just pulled the stats 2021, there were uh, just over 8 million TV subscriptions. So you slap a $5 monthly fee on every one of those proposals. And I'm just doing the math. 8 million. This 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 is the BBC model. Half a billion. Yeah, exactly. That's half a billion bucks a year. And I'm not proposing that. Because I don't think people should be forced to subsidize my work. Like I'm, I'm kind of preachy about this, but it also just—it's it, interesting to me that we have a BBC model, 
And instead, the government was like, let's do C-18 and invent an entirely new rationale of the, the, the so-called like value per link, which is bullshit. But they came up with it to go after big tech. And I think you're saying a minute ago that like we should revoke some of the special status from from Bell. Philosophically, I'd probably agree with that. But this is Canada. We would never do that. Like Bell would unleash an army of lobbyists and the federal government would surrender without firing a shot. The reason they're going after big tech is because big tech's unpopular and they're like, they don't care. Big tech's unpopular and big tech's also largely foreign. Right. So, I mean, like, like there's, there's no Netflix constituency. Yeah. Right. There's no, there's no Facebook constituency. These people are, these people are from another, another country. Think Um, of all the journalism you could subsidize with a half billion bucks a year. And again, I'm not advocating you, this, but this. it's the I easy mean, path. The the other easy path, bluntly, is to accept that we are in a Canadian environment that's a bit gutless, and to respond to that by saying this, I, this is something I've been calling for for ages. Instead of creating an entirely new Byzantine funding system, which has the effect of making literally every media outlet dependent in some way on the government for survival and big tech, <laughs> yeah, and big tech, great, super. Why don't you address get get go back to first principles? If your concern here is that there is a declining media ecosystem ecosystem and structure to support media um, to to cover the basics, to get you know the, the local crime blotter stuff, the local city council, that kind of stuff. If you're concerned that that's not going to be served in this new um, uh, media environment, because you're right, it won't. The correct answer is to use the levers that you already have at your disposal before you go around creating new ones. And the biggest level lever that you have in your disposal is the CBC. If we're dealing with a massive market failure and it's leading to an inability to create quality journalism at a local level, you have the CBC. Like this is this is where this is where there is an argument for a publicly taxpayer funded journalism outlet. I'm which pulling we up have on my phone have right now. Right now, the, I'm going to look yeah. at the CBC evening schedule because yeah, I want to okay. see what right. our money. Yeah. Right now. Do it. So give me a second. I got to find the channel. CBC Toronto. Uh, Sorry, you're going to get not... some music in the background because we're doing some work in our house. Let's just just roll with it. Roll with it. Let's see. Um, so this is really boring content, I know, for the listeners. Mm-hmm. It's taking me a while to find it in my app. Here we so go. Here we go. You're looking for your TV guide here. See, yeah, exactly. Well, no, I just didn't know what channel CBC was on, which should tell you something. Here we go. Um. Local news, marketplace at seven o'clock, just for laughs, gags, still standing, which I don't know what that is. Run to Burbs, I don't know what that is. Comedy festival, the national at ten, which is the same comedy festival they've been doing since literally I was a child. I will point out. Arct- Arctic vets, Coronation Street. Wow, that's innovative. So, what an innovative Friday night that you have there in Toronto, Matt. I mean. But here's here's what you do. So here's how this you. This is why you I didn't know what this. the channel was. Yeah. So here's what you do. You say, look, we need to rethink media in this country. We're undergoing this really painful short to medium term collapse in privately funded media, and they can't afford. I mean, organizations. We, we've been very candid about this line. We can't afford to do beat reporting. Where would we even like? We don't make enough money. We can't afford to do, um, you know, really expensive investigator reporting. I mean, you and I might take that up as a hobby on the side, but we can't do that in a systematic way. You and no. I have both traveled to report on stories. Yeah, yeah. we both travel. So there's like there's there's a growing body of resources there, but it's it's limited. 
And so if you are trying to address this limitation in the short and medium term, and you acknowledge that there is a market failure here, and I think there is, then you say, okay, we need to have a mandate review. The mandate review is public. It has to be done through parliament because that's where the, the CBC gains its funding and its mandate. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to totally sever news from entertainment and the news and entertainment are now totally distinct bodies. They, they narrow the twain shall meet. And I think that their funding mechanisms ought to be different bluntly. Don't fund the entertainment. Yeah. You, like I would be perfectly happy with killing the entertainment section and saying like, this isn't, this isn't an appropriate place for taxpayer dollars anymore. Like we have more access to entertainment than we could ever have dreamed of. Like we don't need the CBC to do this anymore. Shift all that funding into uh, news. I would create a trust-based um, uh, financial arrangement so that the CBC isn't relying on uh, uh, annual money from Parliament every year, but instead yeah. is taking its money from some kind of truly independent trust kind of scenario. So, so you you create a what, hundred billion dollar trust, and then the CBC um, lives off of the interest of that trust. Is kind of yeah. how you do it. Yep, and then you, yeah, and that way you spare it the Pierre Polyev grandstanding. Exactly, you're sparing it. But as a deal for that, you have to engage in a really deep, deep deep-seated mandate review. And that means bluntly tearing apart the division as it stands today and refocusing its efforts to news reporting, local news reporting, underserviced areas. That's where it goes. And then the other thing is you take away the CBC's ability to compete with private. So they can't accept uh, advertising no more advertising. And the other way, the other real culture shift that I would impose on the CBC would I would be like, your job isn't to compete with your local news, pay, news, news environment. Your job is to foster a local news environment. So your job now isn't to um, outcompete the local post media paper or whatever replaces it. Your job is to make sure that local people who want to do journalism in your community have the resources and the mentorship to do that. So you're hosting mentorship. Um, uh, um, uh, programs for these people. You're teaching them about journalism basics and fundamentals. You're doing technical mentorship. This is how you operate this level of equipment. This is how you do video editing. You're opening up your studios so that people can do podcasting in podcast rooms, which are, are sound protected rooms, which you would, you would, uh, you will note that we don't have that right now. <laughs> Listening to the background of our pods, you know what I mean? Like you make these you, may, you turn these away from being competitive journalism environments and you make them community hubs for journalism. And we already have the real estate infrastructure for the CBC to do that or to start doing that. And you build this out from there. So maybe the local CBC Calgary or CBC Lethbridge is holding mentorships for a lot of the aspiring journalists in Cardston and Medicine Hat, showing them how to do this stuff and helping them, helping support them in creating their own standalone journalism entities and you will have lots of failures out of that progress that's fine but this is a place where I, a, a spot where i can see the cbc fostering a journalism environment an innovative journalism environment in canada um at, at a local level to help fill the gaps left by the decline of the of, of the private industry and to do so in a way that um makes the the cbc really um conscious of the fact that it is a service to its community it's 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 not a place where you go to to you know talk down to Canadians from the annex. This 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 entity is there to serve local communities and local communities especially. There's something um, more I, profound you could also do. Sure. Drop all copyright on CBC material. Drop, yeah, I was going to say that. Yes, drop all copyright on CBC material. So now anybody who's looked hooked up into the CBC infrastructure can reprint their news and their um, audio, their video, and their um, pictures on on their respective websites. Imagine, websites are in Canada. imagine opening your copy of the Globe and Mail tomorrow, 
and mm-hmm. there's a printed article buried right in there reporting on some interesting story and at the bottom it says produced by cbc news yeah this is it and, and essentially that this has already this has already been done but i mean this is is what you can do to create an environment where you have somebody covering the local council and everybody gets access to that information from the local council first thing i think the next step is going to be um, incorporating ai into news gathering i think that probably the next step is that we're going to be moving into in the next 10 years bluntly is going to be um say somebody wants to start a news outlet in grand prairie great super they've got a little bit of background training maybe they've done the cbc workshops whatever they're going to pick the 10 stories of the day. They're going to outsource the actual writing of those stories to the to an AI bot. And then they're going to say, here's here AI bot, here's the transcript of a four-hour council meeting. Turn that into a 700-word news story. Boom, there's your content. One person with the aid of a sufficiently advanced AI could make up the lack, of, could make up the equivalent of a 10-person newsroom, right? I don't think the AI is there yet, but I think that that's where this is going. It's not, but that's where this is going. And as long as you have some human oversight deciding what the stories should be and able to fact check those stories and you have that person have some journalism background, I think that that, that is probably where, where a lot of these these newspapers are going to get sourced and serviced. I mean, I the, alternative, s- the alternative is essentially where people start to get their, their news is going to be Facebook groups. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's already, already happening. happening. Yeah, that's already happening, right? It's, it's I find the... out about local restaurant openings, closures, car crashes yeah. already on the Leaside Community Facebook page. It's Yeah, and so it's not news, so it's not going to get captured under C18, but essentially a lot of local news is going to be supplanted by by Facebook groups. So anyway, that that's kind of where I see the future going. And, and I think that the federal government, if it were able to pull its head out of its own ass for 30 seconds and stop listening to, lo- to lobbyists and to actually go to take this problem down to first principles would be like the, the, the solution and the, the problem and the solution are already in your grasp. You just have to not be totally goddamn spineless. <laughs> and, That's a pretty and, tall order. And, and be willing to take on the CBC and say, you know, the CBC as it's structured right now is not is not functioning as it ought to be. Bluntly, you know, the CBC has a lot of ideological priorities that are out of line and out of step with where a lot of Canadians are. And rather than sit around wait for waiting for Polyev to be elected prime minister, you know, they need, they need, they need to start re-evaluating their value and the service that they operate to, to Canadians. And if you're taxpayer funded, then guess what? Your, your duties as a service to your community, your duty is not to preach to your community. So how can you be of service to your community? That's what I would be doing. So but, hey, shit. What do I know? I'm just I just did now. something kind of crazy. I had on my uh, desktop as we're talking right now. I had a bunch of news links that are open. One of them, because we're talking about the state of the media, I had done a quick scan of all uh, media-related news over the last uh, six months, uh, looking for layoffs. So I, at the beginning, I rattled off uh, Quebec or Post Media, uh, now Bell. I did, one of those tabs was still open. It was a Globe and Mail article uh, on the state of post media. I copy pasted the entire thing, put it into chat GPT, and I said, please summarize this in 100 words. Want me to read it to you? Sure, go for it. This is the chat GPT summary of a recent Globe and Mail opinion column on the state of post media. Post Media, a Canadian media company, faced financial struggles with operating income of $13 million and a $30 million annual debt payment. It received government aid but still fell short. Post Media's hope lies in the possibility of Google and Facebook subsidizing it under the proposed Online News Act. However, if Google and Facebook stop carrying links to Canadian news stories as they have threatened, 
Post Media would face further challenges. The company's ownership by U.S. hedge funds since 2010 has led to significant debt and limited control for Canadian shareholders. The hedge fund strategy of cutting costs and selling assets has not been beneficial, and allowing Post Media to decline may be the best course of action. Everything but the last sentence there was perfectly spot on. That's creepy. But, um, you, want, but, but, you, but you hear what I'm saying? How like in the oh, next yeah. five to ten, ten, if it a makes... four-hour city council meeting. Mm-hmm. Maybe eight hundred words summarizing. People are like, "Well, you don't, you don't, you know, the current model as it stands isn't going to support somebody be- treating city council as a beat." And I'm like, "Yes, that's right." But in the very, very near future, you're not going to need someone to treat that as a beat. You're going to be able to summarize every city council meeting in the entire country with two people in Chat DGPT feeding that information into a wider service. Yeah, you, feed you it know, one of my own columns. Yeah, well, let's let's not go into that because we've got other things to talk about. But it's like, the cool point- though. <laughs> but you know what I'm um, saying? Like, and I actually don't think that that's even a necessarily a bad sign because that that would still be a, a model that would support human journalists and human journalistic jobs but a human journalist journalists doing a product like basically increasing their productivity by a thousand or more percent right which which isn't necessarily even onerous uh, you know what I'm saying like you wouldn't necessarily have a worse work day than previously in fact your your workday would probably be easier because all you'd have to do is go and look at these 800 summary things and make sure they're more or less accurate yeah but how are you going to do that without doing the four hour no you just you know you say you 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 look at what the summary is you make sure it reads right and then double check the quotes against with um control alt control alt uh find i think some of the bigger i wonder jen if we should almost take a minute here oh by the way the chat gpt summary of one of my columns is horrifyingly accurate um So I think we should take a step back and I think we should explain to the listeners and the viewers why this is happening. And let's not spend half an hour on this because you and I could talk about this for a long time. Yes. Over the course of the the 20th century, there was a bargain between advertisers and journalism. And the idea was people are always interested in the news. They want to know what's happening in their community. And they're also interested in things like crossword puzzles, sports store uh, scores. Back in the day, I remember when my dad read the paper, there's page after page of TV guide stuff or mm-hmm. stock tickers from a yesterday's close. Um, people are interested in that sort of thing. So people wanted to read the newspaper. It was a place where a lot of eyeballs gathered in one place. The same general rule applied for television and for radio. It was A lot of people wanted to watch TV. A lot of people wanted to listen to the radio. So since there were audiences there, advertisers would be like, hey, we want to reach those audiences. So we'll put a page of advertisements in your newspaper. We'll have a classified section for people who want to kind of do a a meet and match. I have a bike that I want to sell. Jen, you're looking for a bike. I post a classified ad in the paper. It costs me 10 bucks. You find my bike. The paper makes 10 bucks on the transaction. This, or, you know, radio listeners, every couple of minutes, five great songs, or 10 minutes of news, followed by two minutes from our commercial sponsors. Same on television. That model has been destroyed by the internet. And that's simply because the internet is a much more efficient way of reaching much more targeted, much more targeted audiences. So a newspaper's demographic profile of me would be university-educated, 40-year-old, Caucasian, married male. Facebook knows, Facebook knows what foods I like, what movies I like, what music I'm into, what size shoes I wear. They know who my friends are. They know what, they know what stories I click on to read. They know what stuff I never click on to read. 
So a, a big newspaper would probably have 10 data points to understand me from a demographic perspective. Facebook probably has a thousand. Mm -hmm. It is so much cheaper to advertise online. It is so much easier to spend less money to reach exactly the customers you're looking for. You don't, you're not just looking for 40 year old uh, university educated white men who are married with kids. You want 40 year old educated white men married with kids who are into classical music, motorcycles and Star Trek and Star Trek. And well, I'm not on any of those things, but like you can hyper specify exactly who you're advertising to. And it's a way more efficient process. So the newspapers, they can't compete. The radio stations no. can't compete. And the downside is that a lot of the big tech organizations, social media, um, don't provide the positive externalities of journalism. No, they right? don't. They're, they're providing a positive service in exchange for this, these revenue funds, but they're not providing, you know, fact-checked information. Yep. So that's that's where that's what we're left with. Right? There's an entire industry of journalism, and there's an entire industry of advertisers who need to find audiences to present their advertisements to. And for the 20th century, these two things were out of mutual necessity joined at the hip. The marketing and the advertising guys do not need journalism anymore. They have found something that is better. Well, and, this also, and this also explains the underlying psychological logic of C-18. Because again, C-18 is, has been pushed by old school newspaper types who've joined a lobby who want to preserve their status quo institutions, which is understandable. And part of it isn't just not just just money based. I mean, there is an understanding that a lot of these institutions serve a deeper public good, and that's good. But they want to go after Facebook and Google in particular because those are the people who basically stole their markets. Yeah, it's punitive. Yeah, it's punitive. It's it's like no fuck you. You stole our classified advertising, so now we're going to make you pay for it. Like that's that's part of the logic of C eighteen that went into this. There was there's long been unstated, but yeah, yeah, it's unstated. So this is the, the logic of newspaper publishers. I remember 10, 15 years ago hearing newspaper publishers be like, Google's stealing our news. Like, and they genuinely think that Google is stealing their news. Like they genuinely believe that because Google was aggregating their news content on Google News without appreciating that what Google was actually doing was massively this expanding link. the reach of your news. Go visit the Calgary Herald page. Go check out the National and Post. And they were also divorcing the relationship of the reader to the actual outlet itself. So the reader no longer had had that kind of um, relationship with the overall newspaper, but were rather tre treating news articles as a piecemeal buffet kind of scenario. Browse the grazers. It was instead of grazers. having... The, the newspaper that gets delivered to your house every day, or you always watch the six o'clock news on the same channel with the same anchors that you've known to the, that are in your homes for an hour a day. You have very well-read people who get up in the morning, look at an aggregator and go, these following 10 articles are interesting. And what you have is Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, CBC, National Post, BBC, New York Times, Al Jazeera. You, you, you read 10 totally different articles that were all presented to you in the same place from 10 outlets and you're not oh. brand loyal to any of them well and then the other thing is that this ironically is despite the fact that um people very rightly trash us terrible evil pundits and columnists for our sins par parasitic to the system but if you want to see where people do develop that loyalty it's not to the brands anymore it's to the individual people so people will have brand loyalty to you and me as individuals and individual writers, and they'll follow us across different platforms. But 
they don't necessarily have brand loyalty to the platform. So columnists, ironically, in this environment, become hugely more uh, important to the brand because they need those sort of marquee individuals for their readers to develop a human relationship and a human sort of sense of loyalty and connection to because they no longer, well, they do, they, they, they do still, but they have a decreasing level of that connection to the brand as a whole. I want to I want to follow up on that, Jen, just by mentioning, and again, this is for the benefit of the listeners and the viewers. One of the things we're often asked, why is there so much opinion uh, as opposed to uh, reporting? And it's because opinion is cheap. And let me tell you what I mean by that, because I'm not devaluing, devaluing the work that you or I or others do. You can totally devalue the work that we no, do. No, no, no. I think a lot of the work fine. we do is important. Let me <laughs> let me say I have $60,000, hypothetically, 60000 bucks that I'm going to spend to create content. I can spend it on one reporter, pay him 60,000 bucks a year. And because you don't file every day, because, you know, not every story ends up working out. Sometimes you can't get it done or that takes two days to do, or the story just falls through. Let's assume about a a, a two-thirds success rate for that reporter. He can file three times a week, thereabouts. Or I can get six columnists pay them each 200 bucks per column and I get six days worth of content for the same money. It is a more efficient way to get 800 words worth of content when you're paying opinion as opposed to paying um, for for a reporter to do it. The same logic applies at a radio panel or a television panel, right? Instead of paying a full-time salary of a reporter who's going to go break a story, you pay 30, three or four people 50 bucks each to pop on your TV panel and talk about what someone else already reported on it's a lot cheaper that way you get much bigger bang for the buck this is why the line is opinion led it is what we could do first we have no money we we literally started this outlet up with six hundred dollars and that's what it cost us to get our trade trademark situation sorted yep like that's that's literally it there's in other words, no now that we're we a going we concern, there are costs, yes, but there startup costs were 600 like, bucks. Our startup costs were $600. Like we, most startups and most startups have failed in the journalism sector, but they start up with a couple million dollars of VC capital. Yeah. And they try and they massively try to expand that by first thing they do always do is spend a lot of money on reporters and investigative journalists. And they start with big, oh, that was, we're so great. We're going to do, we're going to change the journalism. Blah, blah. Three years later, they're bankrupt. Because they spend out the original money and they and yeah, they, yeah. they over they overexpand in order to compete in the marketplace. They do two or three years of great fucking work. I mean, BuzzFeed News is a classic example of this. They do a couple of years of fantastic work, and then realize that they can't support the revenue on on that work alone. That's doesn't pay the bills. So that's why we that's why we're over dependent on on opinion. I would like to change that. I would like us to make to make us more reportorial. I would like us to do some investigative stuff, but it's not going to be comprehensive. Neither you are in the illusion that we're going to be creating a comprehensive repertorial outlet that's able to compete with the Globe and Mail. That's not that's not feasible. We're always going to be a niche outlet. Um, I mean, unless a couple somebody wants to hand us a few million dollars in VC VC money, then you know we, no we might very attached. well be the we have no strings attached. We might be the exception. Who knows? Anyway, also another thing, uh, Peter Menzies just uh, tweeted me something, and this was in response to my point about Bell being an oligopoly and and having an unstated premise to spend some of their profits on journalism. Peter responded, mm-hmm. it's a condition of their license. It's transactional. They agree to, it's written down. It's been less than 12 months since the CRTC renewed their licenses. I am not aware of that. So I will have to look into that, but he's saying it's not even an unstated premise. Uh, what literally, they'll come up they're, with. literally they're, they're, they're broadcast 
um, license is predicated on the concept that they are going to devote some of that money to journalism. Yeah, so I and look, I'm sure I'll look into that. I'm sure they'll find a way to weed, weedle out of it. Oh maybe, no, there but... will be three interns left working yeah. for CTV. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what. Yeah, it, that's how they're going to do it. That's how one temp do it. retired editor um, overseeing three summer interns. That will yeah. be what what becomes of, of CTV. Yeah. Um, they they will, and that that put, also explains why they just haven't shut it down in, in its entirety yet. They will put exactly as much resources as they think they can get away with into yes. journalism so, in order to maintain their privileged position. And, and also, even thing, if they choose is, to back out, the government won't take on Bell. No, but I mean, like this, but this is also one of those things that, again, I'll bring it full circle here. This is where I think that this is so frustrating, where the government is creating these entirely new, entirely Byzantine <laughs> structures when all they have to do is like be like, no. We're not going to renew your license. Like you, you actually need to devote significant resources to it, and and if you don't, we'll pull your license. Like they actually have. The or we'll just let in American telecoms come compete. Or we'll let American telecoms come yep. compete. Exactly. Like they they actually want to play hardball. They have the leverage to do it. They just they, they just don't. They, no, don't. they don't. They don't have the the leverage. They don't have the balls to do it, and they would rather just go after Facebook because Facebook's a big meanie head. I think, as I was saying to you uh, online earlier, what we have to understand about Bill C-18 is that it is not intended to save journalism. What it is intended to do is to prevent journalism from literally collapsing in this country because that would be bad press for the government. To, like, So they've come up with some stupid kind of way where they get to have a, well, you know, okay, so we're going to have to stop this stuff from outright collapsing, but along the way, we'll take a pot shot at Facebook, which is great because we don't like them. But the purpose is not to reinvigorate a healthy news environment. It's to just kick the final death down far enough the road that it's the next government's problem. See, I'm, like, I'm actually more optimistic and more cynical. I think the, the, the motivations are a bit more complicated than that. I think that that's, I don't think that they're really worried about the bad press they're going to get if post-media collapses. I don't think post-media is that popular. What I do think they are looking at is they're looking at a, um, an, an increasingly atomized information environment where um, the populace is more and more po polarized and disinformation and misinformation are rampant. And if they allow these status quo journalism outlets to collapse, what, what replaces them? Oh, what replaces them is True North and the Rebel and the Tai and the National Observer and 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 a fuller, just such a such a deepening of that polarization and that divide among the electorate that they, they're genuinely yeah they're genuinely fearful. Yeah, they're, they're genuinely fearful that in that environment, they have a population that becomes essentially ungovernable or or at the very least uncommunicable with them, right? I think that that's actually part of it. They have then the CBC. They have the CBC, but we also, have, but they haven't thought about that. Like they literally haven't thought about that. Like I think that's actually the issue. Even so, the CBC as it is now would, would suffice to serve your cynical... Oh. Theory. Potentially, but then then you add in the fact that you know, well, you know, if we can if we can make these people, if we can get these people a good deal with Facebook, they're going to be awfully nice to us. They're going to be awfully beholden to us. Part of it really is just that, like, not only do are we afraid of what will happen in the post mainstream media market, like the just what happens to a population, what happens to the governability of a of a population without that kind of shared information network, that kind of shared mm -hmm. consensus reality, that is gen genuine fear here. But in addition, you know, if they can cut these organizations a deal that, you know, makes them a little more beholden to us, then that's then that's just icing on the cake. And hey, and you're quite right, if they can fuck over big tech, great. 
you know, but they're not looking at the problem from first principles. That's my issue with it. Oh yeah. Don't bingo. Yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. Because if, if this was actually about saving and supporting journalism, there are much easier, more yeah, direct, they, less convoluted ways to do yeah. that. I mean, for fuck's sakes, they would just tax, tax and spend. Like, you know what I, mean? yeah. like I wouldn't, for, I, I would disagree with that as on the same philosophical grounds, same. but it would be far less complicated to simply tax big tech and then respend re, re, reallocate the money like that would be a less complicated mechanism than what they're doing right now i think something we should do uh before yeah. we move on to a couple of other topics is you and i have been talking about this in sort of grand strategic terms for however however long we've been talking i don't know if we've ever actually just underlined the explicit point we kind of touched on it a, a, a bit at the beginning what we're looking at here is the end yes and, you know, my entire career, when I joined the National Post, and that was like 2007, 2008, I don't remember exactly when that was, but it was a while ago. And I'd been a freelancer before that. The attitude of everybody was, hey, come on in, kid. You're going to have a great time. You're going to make some good contacts. You're going to get a really cool line on your resume. And when this whole place goes bust in two years, you'll go on to the next thing. But you'll have this really great experience. There's been, and probably your entire career has same same trajectory right no job you've ever started if you had any faith that you were going to get the clock and the gold watch and the pension at the oh, end no, no. I, I've, I've literally uh, been to more funerals than retirement parties in this industry that's yeah literal, that's literally true and i think that has led us to become a little bit habitualized into the oh yeah it's been dying forever it'll never really die because my whole career it's been dying no it, it may really die and what we're seeing now is radio stations not cutting back, closing. We're seeing newspapers, particularly in small markets, not cutting back, closing. We are seeing the possibility, I would say, with Post Media first, but I would, Torstar not necessarily far behind, of those papers closing. Uh, all of them, just shutting down one day. Or maybe you sell off the brands for parts. When, to me, the really interesting data signal this week was not the layoffs, it was the colleges. Hmm. Just well, going... the, the fact that the colleges were still running journalism programs in and of itself was borderline unethical. And in fact, I wouldn't even call it borderline. You know, even, even Ryerson and Carleton, which are the top tier journalism schools, I mean, what percentage of those kids go on to have journal, jobs in journalism? It's, it's an absolute... It's misleading. It's misleading. You know, I got asked you, to go to Ryerson years ago and talk to a class of first year kids. And I, there were like 30 of them. And I said, Hey, raise your hand if you actually have any expectation of working in, a, in journalism as a career. And like every hand went up. I'm like, There's about 30 of you here. I said, My guess is that four of you will find journalism jobs. Two of you will wash out in the first year. One of you will be laid off in your 40s. And one of you will make it to retirement. I was not asked no. back. Even, even, yeah, even that's optimistic. I mean, bluntly, like that's that's they're they're not being realistic. They're they're, they're not being realistic with the kids who are going into journalism. Okay? I mean, Something... they, weren't real, they weren't realistic with with my generation. They're certainly not being realistic with them now. They're being you you were being trained for journal for a communications communications program. job, public relations, or, exactly. or maybe even potentially a technical job. Like there's there's lots of interesting back behind the scenes technical stuff that you can be trained to do. Oh yeah, video editing, sound video recording, editing, sound recording, that kind of stuff. And those are good skill sets to have. So I mean, if you're going for that perspective, do we're it. Lose Get your technical that. skills. Yeah, so so this is interesting, but I, as I think you and the, and the listeners know, I, I do host a, a, a radio show on, on Sirius XM every, every weekday, 10 to 12 Eastern Sirius XM channel 167. Um, one of the known problems in the industry is a shortage of trained technical people. 
and it's the industry's gotten smaller a lot of the people who've done it have retired there's enough right now to to get by but but the loyalist college program that's shutting down a lot of those guys they would have been a pipeline of actual tech heads who could run the broadcast industry so we're going to run into shortages of those guys let's move on with the exception of one thing you and i are both bad at being shameless self-promoters we talk we talk off the air sometimes about how we need to be more shameless. Um, you and I hate this part of the job. We're not natural salespeople. But let me say something explicit now, and I hate doing this. The line going back to when we started this thing almost three years ago was always a three-step plan. The first step was to get it running so that it was viable and could pay its own bills and that Jen and I could earn side gig income off of it. Part-time, just a little bit of extra money coming in. We have accomplished that. Step two of the three-step plan was to grow the line to the point where not only is it self-sustaining in its current form, but that Jen and I could make a full-time income off of that. We're not Hmm. there yet. We're probably about half of the way between step one and step two. Step three, look, if, if we accomplish step two, you and I have succeeded. Yeah. Like that's, that would be awesome. Step three would be you and I building this thing to the point where we can make full-time wages on this. We become uncancelable. We're not worried about losing freelance gigs or having to scrape together other things. And there's enough money left over that we can do other things. Hire people to do reporting. Hire news editors. Generate more audiovisual content. This is purely a money play. Folks, if you're listening to us right now and if you're watching and if you have not subscribed, this is why we are asking you to subscribe. And we would like you to do that before the lights go out. It's it's bad. It's every like the the journalism model of the 20th century is over and it's accelerating and it's dive. If there aren't some adults left in the industry, if they all go take comms jobs the accumulated skill set of generations will be lost in 10 years. Someone has to survive this. And it's very possible, hypothetically, conservatives win the next election, they defund the CBC, and they scrap all the journalism support programs. And I'm not even necessarily opposed to that as policies, but you have to know what that would do to the industry. The, 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 the actual inst- the real the real loss here is actually in the institutional, institutional knowledge, knowledge. And it's the institutional knowledge so understanding we mean understanding the history of the people involved in the in 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 what you're keeping who you're keeping to account so if i've been up Alberta for 10 years i've got a pretty good understanding of the players out here now I, I know who runs what how the factions work all that kind of stuff you know you you take me out you replace me with someone half the half the wage with two or three years experience all that institutional knowledge is just gone but also it's the institutional knowledge of how to do journalism, just the technical skill sets, what's on, what's, what's, what's legit, what's not legit. It takes time to develop, for lack of a better term, the instinct for bullshit. Mm. That is, that is, that, that takes experience and time. Um, and every time we lose someone in their fifties and sixties from this industry, we're, we lose really genuinely invaluable knowledge that we can't replace with somebody whom we're paying $40,000 a year to churn out hashtag content. Right. So we're hoping to be among the survivors, the last uh, the last rats in the barrel. Yeah. And we hope that one day there are better times and that there's some new model that we figure out and people we've worked with here benefit from the experience and become 
a new generation, but we got to survive the, like that dark age in between. Folks, we really we're not good at this part of it, but if you have not subscribed yet, and if you can, please do, because everything you've come to expect from journalism over the 20th century is going to be gone, I'd say, in five or ten years. Tops. It, it might be two years. I think that's even optimistic. But on that note, um, we have been rambling on quite a lot. We do want to just wrap other it. Subject. Let's just wrap it, because we have other subjects that we want to talk about, but you will get those in the dispatch. Yeah. So We'll talk about the latest shit shows in Ottawa. We'll talk about... Uh, the, the weird uh, Alberta. Alberta Facebook yeah. censorship oh, claims. We have one coming in also about Canada being a laggard at NATO. So we're going to have a pretty meaty written dispatch. Uh, but no, let's call it here. Let's let's call it here. I think that's a long dispatch. And that's a lot for a lot of people to eat up. And also, I think the bulk of our dispatch is definitely going to be on the media stuff because it's it's it does feel like we've crossed the Rubicon on, 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 on this stuff. What's amazing to me is how many other journalists just talking this week in group chats and text messages every i think everybody i've talked to this week felt the change hmm. like this week has felt different hmm. like we're it's one thing to basically go we're trimming this operation down to the bone it's another thing to say we're shutting it down mm-hmm. and i think what's becoming just increasingly clear is that the companies that have been bankrolling this to date either can't in the case of a com- company like post media or in the case of a company like Bell, they've decided they no longer wish to. Okay. Like, we need to be realists, uh, you and I as individuals, but also our listeners and our viewers. We don't have the luxury of denial about what's happening right now. And it is happening right now. And it could happen pretty quickly. What are what are rising interest rates alone going to do to Chorus, to Bell, to Post Media, to Torstar? 30 years, I mean, 30 years to get here, the last 10 rock bottom interest rates, and all of a sudden interest rates are 5%. How many of these, how many of these companies are making payroll every month using a revolving line of credit? What's that cost them now? Yep. And they're not, they're not taking on, they're they're on, we're now firmly into the uh, payday money loan line of credit rates for these guys. Mm -hmm. These guys are not getting prime plus one. Let's just say it that way. Save journalism if you can, folks. Just in case you're wondering, yes, we do find these chats depressing ourselves, but this is reality, folks. We don't have the luxury of pretending that this is business as usual. We repeat what we said before. If you have not yet subscribed, and you can, please do. If you have subscribed, please share our work in the hopes that others do as well. We want to get to stage two, folks, because once we're at stage two, we can start worrying about stage three. And once we're at stage three, we might be able to actually start saving uh, a bit of this before it all goes away forever. It's kind of a grim note to end on, guys, I know. But I still hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And we hope you enjoyed, or at least found enlightening, the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast.